everybody. This is Dr. Lauren Valdis, Medical Director of Education here at SWARP. Just a quick disclaimer that uh, while we're recording our podcast today, that our office is undergoing a, a bit of a refresh renovation, so you may hear some noises in the background. Our IT specialist, David, who I'm not going to make talk today, is going to do his best to take it out, but you might hear some sounds in the background. Today we have with us Dr. Sarah Pierre Piscopo, one of the PEDS EM fellows. Welcome, Dr. Piscopo. Hi. Is your name wrong there? No, that was great. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi, thanks for coming. Dr. Piscopo is here to discuss IV versus IO intraosseous access in the context of epinephrine administration for cardiac arrest. So it's a super interesting topic and something obviously very applicable to everyday ACP-specific scope practice. But Dr. Piscopo, what drew you to this topic? Well, I've been part of a number of resuscitation where it takes more than a couple of attempts to obtain vascular access, and I really wanted to look into whether it was worth taking the time to go for an IV rather than going straight for an IO when the patient's already unconscious or arrested. Okay, I gotcha. And I think you wanted to start us out with a case, is that right? Yeah, let's do it. It helps put things into context. All right, great. Take us away. So it's everyone's worst nightmare scenario. You're at the base at 5.30 in the morning when a call comes in about a nine-month-old found unresponsive by their parents at home. Your heart sinks, but you spring into action, and you're somewhat reassured by the fact that they were last heard making noise on the monitor about 10 minutes ago. Police are on their way too, and you'll know they start CPR as soon as they get there if it's required. Oh, yeah. My heart's already sinking. Yeah. My heart's racing. Keep going. (laughs) On your way, you talk logistics with your partner. The plan is for them to manage the airway, have police continue CPR while you try for vascular access to get epi and fluids going. When you get on scene after making sure the environment's safe and confirming that the patient does indeed not have a pulse, your colleague gets to work and you pull out the IV kit. The medical directive requires that IV access be attempted first, but after looking on both feet and the one arm that you do have access to, you don't see any veins that look adequate for access. At this point, CPR is ongoing and the patient is easy to bag, so why not just bring the kids straight to the hospital? Okay, so you suggest not trying for an IV or IO on scene to work the medical cardiac arrest? You're suggesting considering early transfer after the first analysis? Well, in theory, it seems logical, right? Get the kid to the hospital ASAP where the whole team can help you. Okay, I see. Well, this is a moving target in the pre-hospital world, something we don't have to consider in hospital when to transfer. In the hospital, they're already there in front of you. So the question is, is it best to get them to the hospital quickly with all the resources, or is it best to stay on scene and provide care? If you do choose to stay, what's the most important care to provide? And I think you're going to be taking us through that today. Exactly. You know, as much as everything in your body is screaming to just take them to the hospital, the latest evidence in pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest actually suggests that the load-and-go approach isn't always what's best for the patient. In 2005, Dr. Tyson, who's actually one of the pediatric intensivists here in London, and her group of researchers published a retrospective study looking at survival rates in pediatric arrest and what pre-hospital interventions are associated with improved rates of ROSC. They found that survival rates were highest among the group when they spent between 10 and 35 minutes on scene. This was attributed to 10.2% survival rate compared to 6.9% when more than 35 minutes were spent on scene, or 5.3% if they were there for less than 10 minutes. 
All right, so let's just take a minute and review those numbers again. The group that spent less than 10 minutes on scene for these pediatric cardiac arrest patients had a survival rate of 5.3%, less than 10 minutes. The group that spent 10 to 35 minutes on scene had a survival rate of 10.2%. So that seems to be the sweet spot. And the group that spent more than 35 minutes on scene had a survival rate of 6.9%. Dr. Piscopo, were there any certain treatments or factors that were associated with these scene times? The only specific factors that they actually found to contribute significantly to improvement were attempted vascular access, either IV or IO, and the administration of IV fluids. Okay, so both IV fluids and medications, or just IV fluids? Specifically in this study, they found that the IV fluids were most beneficial. They did find that medications were associated with a decreased survival, but that's confused by the fact that the patients who have the longer resuscitation tend to be the ones that receive more medication. Right, so not necessarily so simple. So let's take a step back and discuss the methods of this study so we can help interpret how this data applies to our practice here in southwestern Ontario. Looking at the study methods, were all pediatric age groups looked at similarly? For example, less than two years old versus 13 to 16 years old. These are very different populations. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> the patient population that we deal with is quite broad. So actually the whole court included 2,244 patients. About half of those were infants, a quarter of each children and adolescents made up the rest of the group. This is pretty consistent with what we know about infants having the highest rate of cardiac arrest compared to these two other groups. Now, survival rate was assessed in each of the categories and was lowest in the infants at 3.7% compared to 9.8% for children and 16.3% for teens. Their survival by time on scene wasn't specifically divided among the different age categories, but the study did remark on the fact that infants had the higher proportion of unwitnessed arrests and overall the shortest time on scene on average because the tendency was to do more of that, quote, scoop and run. Okay, that's great. Thank you. It's always important to understand the data that led to the conclusions of the study. So a follow-up question then is where geographically were the patients from in the study? Were they all treated by ACP paramedics or paramedics that could provide EPI and advanced airways? So this study is from the ROC database, which stands for Resuscitation Outcome Consortium, and it's based out of 11 North American regions, including eight sites in the U.S. and three in Canada. The patients were from rural and urban areas. I unfortunately don't have a more detailed breakdown except to say that the average transport time for the patients was about seven minutes and between scene departure and arrival in hospital. I also don't have access to the level of training of the paramedics involved, but interestingly, like I mentioned before, the administration of resuscitation drugs was associated with the worst outcome, but really it's important to emphasize here that this is a correlation and we can't assume a causation. Great. Well, thank you very much for taking us through that. I know that that's hard sometimes to sort of wind through the data, and especially hearing it on a podcast, it can be a little bit tricky. So overall, then, do you think we can apply the findings of this study to our own population and practice? I absolutely think that the information in the study is applicable to the pediatric patients, the crew see here. A similar rock study in adults also supported spending a little bit more time on scene, but overall the adult data seems to be a little bit unclear when you look at it as a whole. Of course, some of the added time on scene benefit would be limited to the paramedic crews with IV capabilities such as the ACP and PCP crews with IV certification. 
Even though epinephrine wasn't found specifically in the study to be associated with improved outcomes, we'll talk about that in a few minutes for sure. Also, even though it's outside of the scope of this talk, I do want to put in a plug here to encourage bagging as the preferred means of ventilation, especially in infants until ED arrival, whenever it's possible for the crew. Gotcha. So suggestion to stick to the sort of least invasive method um, for kids. Exactly, exactly. Great. The question of when to consider early transport after the first analysis has been brought up recently and answered by ASKMAC in March of 2022. So the brief answer that I'll give you is that the SWARP Medical Council allows for clinical judgment when it comes to managing pediatric cardiac arrests. So we would recommend that you stay on scene for all analysis, in which case that uh, defibrillation is being delivered because you can treat that condition with the tools that you have on hand. However, if you think that the patient will benefit from some tools, say advanced airway skills, et cetera, that you don't have on hand, then you can consider early transport. So this direction allows for paramedic flexibility in assessing each situation. So I'll, I'll let you um, click on that Ask Mac, and we'll include that link in our podcast notes so you can see that. But essentially, it's not a black and white, always leave early for uh, pediatric cardiac arrest, nor is it always stay on scene for pediatric cardiac arrest. It's stay on scene for those treatable conditions, including defibrillation and uh, other things that you can manage on scene. Otherwise, if you think that things are better managed in hospital, then you can transport early after the first analysis. So with that, Dr. Piscopo, what is the takeaway from this study? Pretty much exactly like you said. The point here isn't to dissuade crews from heading to the hospital once they've completed the tasks they feel are relevant, but rather to remind you to treat the cases similarly to a young adult. So take the time to set yourself up for a successful transfer. It's really just as important in these patients. And is the conclusion from this study similar to other studies or previous evidence? Pretty similar. A more recent study in 2020 by Matsuyami and all published a population-based study looking at nearly 4,000 cases of pediatric cardiac arrest and compared outcomes based on whether or not the patients had received epinephrine in the pre-hospital setting. And they found that epi was associated with statistically significant higher rates of ROSC at 11.2% compared to 3.3% when no epi was given. While they weren't able to reach statistical significance for one-month survival and favorable neurologic outcomes, they also tended to see improvement in these as well. And what was the root of epi given in this study with the pediatric population? Yeah, this particular study comes out of Japan where EMS providers don't use IO, so all of these doses of epi were IV. Okay, thank you very much. That's very helpful. Can you tell us a little bit about the evidence behind the timing of epinephrine in cardiac arrest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's not only important to know that giving epi is beneficial, but also the timing plays a huge role. In 2018, Hansen and all published a prospective database study looking into determining the ideal timing of epi administration in both adults and pediatric non-shockable out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and they actually had a patient population of 26,000 patients. Once they adjusted for confounders, each one-minute delay between EMS arrival and epinephrine administration was associated with a 4% decrease odds in survival in adults and 9% in children. The effect of timing was particularly important when the arrest was unwitnessed or the patient was in PEA. 
The study did not find any other significant differences based on route of administration, but all that to say, yes, please do give epinephrine and give it as early as you can. Ah, and this is where the new suggestion per the 2020 AHA guidelines comes in to now give epi as soon as you can in cardiac arrest. Yes, exactly. So frame the root question now. Let's go back to our case. Sounds great. So now we're at a point where our IV access has been unsuccessful in an arrested patient. That means that the next vascular access to consider is IO. So you grab the easy IO and make sure to load the proper size needle based on the estimated weight for the patient as indicated on the packaging, as well as ensuring that you have all the other equipment required. And once you're ready to landmark, use the pediatric landmarking recommendations. And what are those landmarking recommendations again, Dr. Piscopo? Any tips from your you as the Peds Emerge doc? Yeah, for sure. So the point of insertion is the anteromedial aspect of the tibia. And in a child, you want to go approximately one centimeter medial to the tibial tuberosity and just below the patella, also approximately a centimeter down along the flat aspect of the tibia. Go slowly until there's a loss of resistance. Remember that in older kids, so more than 12, the landmarking is approximately the two centimeter medial to the tibial tuberosity and three centimeters down, same as it would be for an adult. Dr. Piscopo, does the evidence tell us anything regarding IV versus IO root efficacy for epinephrine administration in cardiac arrest? That's a really good question. The last couple of studies I mentioned didn't find any specific differences in efficacies between the roots of epinephrine administration, but there's a little bit of conflicting evidence around this question. In 2019, Nguyen and all found that the IO route of administration was only effective if the patient was normovolemic and that ROSC was not improved with IOEPI in the hypovolemic group. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. There's another study that looked at nearly 800 cases of medical cardiac arrest in adults and compared ROSC rates in patients with IV versus IO access. This study found that rates of ROSC were higher with IV access at 45% compared to IO at 26%. The results were still accurate when they looked only considering the initial vascular access attempts, so taking out the fact that IO is often considered a rescue technique. That's a smart thing to do with regards to methodology. Definitely, definitely. And then one more one that I think is worth mentioning is 2014, Burgett's and all published a review of animal studies that compared serum epinephrine concentrations following IV administration compared to IO administration for cardiac arrest. And they found that IV administration of the epinephrine led to more rapid onset and higher peak concentrations. They also found that the proximal sites, so if you were to administer the epinephrine in the humeral site compared to tibial, was preferential given pharmacokinetics showing better results compared to, more similar, sorry, compared to the IV administration. Interesting. And on that note, did the other studies describe the different IO locations used or all the same? So unfortunately, none of the other studies specifically went into detail as to which site were used, but it's worth mentioning that the Nguyen study that I spoke about a few minutes ago did use both uh, tibial and humeral access. Okay, so regarding the question of IVD versus IO, would you say that we have a definitive answer at this time? I mean, all things being considered, it sounds like IO isn't quite as ideal, but I'd argue that having some form of vascular access is definitely better than no access in these patients. 
If ROSC is obtained, though, it might be worth considering trying again for an IV access afterwards, time permitting. And Dr. Piscopo, do we know anything about the ease of access? That's a great question. In 2013, Myers and all found that PIV success rates in a U.S. group's pre-hospital team was 88% successful. Overall, the lowest success rates were seen in the less than two-year age group at 64%. But this really was considering all cause for vascular access, and I consider that the patients in cardiac arrest probably represent a particularly challenging subgroup. When they specifically were looking at first-pass success, their IV rates were closer to 50%. And that same research group looked at IO success rates and found something closer to 80 to 84% first-pass success and overall success of 93% in a group where the median age was less than one year. And was the data from the study on pediatric cardiac arrest patients? Yeah, exactly. So not specifically. They were looking at all patients requiring out-of-hospital access, so it's pretty safe to assume that patients in cardiac arrest made up a very small proportion of their data. And I can only imagine, again, that arrested patients are the ultimate in challenge when it comes to IVs. And Dr. Piscopo, do you have any more juicy info on us on this topic? I do, I do. There's actually an unpublished study by one of our Western pediatric residents and his collaborators, including Dr. Lim, our PEDS Emerge director, that found that local IO insertion success rates are in the range of 83% with a 71% first pass success. The average time between arrival on scene and successful insertion was four minutes, and on average, IOs placed were used effectively for 25 minutes before they either went interstitial, the patient had an IV placed, or they were transferred to the PEDS critical care, or unfortunately had termination of resuscitation. The less than one year age group had the most challenges, including requiring more attempts for insertion and having delayed IO failure. Well, there you have it, folks. Unpublished local data mirroring published data on this topic. Unsurprisingly, the littlest littles are the most challenging. But what about the adult world? I know this is stepping outside your normal wheelhouse, but do you have any information on this adult group and ease of access? <laughs> um, their evidence is similarly encouraging for success rates in adults, though IV insertion tends to be a little bit less problematic. In 2012, there was a publication of a cohort analysis of rested adults in whom easy IO placement was attempted in the humerus by paramedics, and the placement was successful on first attempt in 91% of cases overall, with 94% of cases having a successful insertion when second attempts were also considered. Reasons for unsuccessful attempts included obesity, absence of flow, and there was also a 2% rate of dislodgement after a successful insertion. Now, this is a much higher success rate than another study found by RAIDS and all in 2011. This group published an observational study looking at all medical cardiac arrest patients in whom resuscitative efforts included an IO insertion over two-month period. During the first month of the study, the humerus was used preferentially as a site of access, and in the second month of the study, they moved to the tibia. And among 88 patients in the study, 58% had the tibial placement. What they found was that first-pass success for the tibia was significantly higher at 89.7% compared to only 60% for humeral placement. And there was also a tend to increase dislodgement in humeral IOs. All right, well, Dr. Piscopo, that's very interesting. But what happened in our case? Well... We got lucky this time. Your IO insertion is successful in the patient's left tibia and you administer the first dose of epinephrine. 
you're anticipating a potentially long resuscitation, so you drop two more doses and the patient is transferred to the back of the ambulance. This time, your team's quick actions and the patient's short downtime pay off and ROSC is obtained en route to the hospital. Everyone breathes a big sigh of relief, uh, the docs at the hospital included, and you know that the baby has a rocky few days ahead, but where there's perfusion, there's hope. Excellent. A happy ending. That's what we wanted to hear. To summarize, Dr. Piscopo, what is the evidence-based best practice in pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest? So I think it's worth highlighting three main take-home points here today. The first one being that when you're faced with a pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, take the time to set yourself up for a successful transfer. So let's highlight this point because it's one that comes up again and again, and we already highlighted the most recent Ask Mac. Unless there's a true reason to consider early transport, such as an overdose, or something else that you cannot treat on scene, consider staying during the duration of your medical directive on scene to provide that epinephrine and airway management. If you cannot obtain either, then transport. Yes, exactly. And for take-home point number two, it's worth taking the time to try to obtain vascular access for epinephrine and IV fluids, with IV being the access of choice, but IO being a reasonable alternative that might be easier to obtain. So this again aligns with the SWARP teaching to at least put their tourniquet on and palpate for a vein before going to IO. Perfect. And for take-home point number three, get resuscitation dose epinephrine into a patient as quickly as possible for the best outcomes. Excellent. Again, aligning with the 2020 AHA guidelines update. Thank you so much, Dr. Piscopo, for joining us today. You've brought a lot of great evidence-based practice for us today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Valdez. And thanks all for listening. We'll make sure to have all of the references listed on the podcast site for you to check out the sources directly as well. Thank you so much for all you do for our communities and patients. Stay safe and take care. Bye, everybody. Bye.